This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Welcome to Lends Me Your Ears. This is a film podcast where we see something new in cinemas or on streaming services and connect and compare it to older films by the same filmmaker or the same genre. Sometimes we give love to the work of a lead actor. I'm Karsten Knox. I'm a film writer and critic. My blog is called Flaw in the Iris, and it can be found at halifaxbloggers.ca. And my name's Stephen Cook, and I'm a multimedia journalist with the Chronicle Herald and the Saltwire Network here in Halifax. On this episode of Lends Me Your Ears, we are checking out the Finn Atlantic International Film Festival for 2021. We've seen a few of the films in advance, many of which are playing through the week, some of which uh, are still available, some maybe not. But uh, we're going to give you our takes on uh, the films, the mostly local films that are showing at the film festival for the next hour. And I hope that you can stick around and uh, maybe you'll want to go see some of these movies yourself here uh, on at the Finn Atlantic International Film Festival. Welcome back to Lends Me Your Ears. We are here to talk about this year's Finn Atlantic International Film Festival, the 2021 edition. It is a mouthful. It is a mouthful, <laughs> but uh, we will just be saying Finn for the rest of the show. So hopefully nobody tunes in partway through and wonders why we're talking about fish parts. Um, but no, Finn is is back. It's back with in-person screenings. Uh, if you're in town, this will be airing on CKDU on Tuesday. And of course, out into the podcast universe when it can be listened to years from now. <laughs> and hopefully people don't uh, get confused. But uh, this is the 2021 edition of of Finn, and we're very happy that they're back with uh, cinematic screenings as well as an online uh, portion, which of course last year was all online. Uh, both the uh, the regional East Coast features and shorts, the national uh, presentations, and also international titles were all available um, on a kind of a, a limited day by day kind of basis on the FinStream program. This year, uh, that they were really happy with the fact that they could present film online in a actually what i thought was a very user-friendly and very um stable platform it worked really well for me last last year um and they could adapt that this year and present a lot of uh, their east coast programming for people who don't uh, live in halifax or aren't able to make the trip into town for the week uh, to see all this stuff so uh it's now it's a sort of a nice balance between the in-person stuff and uh the online uh, fin atlantic or fin stream uh, presentations and it's, it's it's a pretty good compromise i think and now hopefully we will uh this time next year we'll be rid of this pesky pandemic and uh we can get rid of the seating <laughs> restrictions because obviously if you want to see something, you have to pounce on those tickets because they could, uh, the theaters are filling up quickly due to the fact that uh, they have to make uh, allowances for, for seating uh, restrictions and so on. So hopefully next year that balance will be even uh, better and more accommodating. But uh, for now, we're happy to be sitting in the dark together, socially distanced <laughs> and watching films from, uh, from our own backyards as well as from around the world. Yeah. And then it's, I've been to uh, one so far and uh, it was pretty great. We'll talk about that later in the uh, the show. We're recording this on Saturday morning. So, you know, when you'll hear this, the festival will be a lot further along. But as we mentioned, many of these films are available on streaming service or, you know, might be still coming up in person, actually, or, or will they? Hmm. Uh, maybe, <laughs> you know, some of them will have already played, and that is the fact. But uh, there'll still be plenty of other things, stuff that we won't even talk about, still available. So, you know, obviously check the film the Finn Film Festival site for more information on what's out there, what's happening, what's available until Thursday. Uh, so the opening night gala was Wildhood, written and directed by Bretton Hannum. And uh, this was, a, I think, a really lovely choice for the opening film. It was, uh, and, and I've been critical in the past about some of the choices made for, for the opening gala. This was, not only was it local, it felt re very relevant, uh, a really lovely storytelling tell experience from the uh, the two-spirited uh, filmmaker 
from uh, whose whose previous feature was North Mountain. I don't know if you saw that back in 2015. I Steve. did. I loved North Mountain. I thought it was terrific. Yeah, and it really was an interesting film and in how it mixed genre elements, the sort of uh, a thriller elements with indigenous uh, spirited characters, uh, two spirited characters in this kind of uh, melange uh, that I'd never seen anything quite like it before and all shot, you know, exterior in winter, which uh, which really impressed me how that feeling of authenticity that was brought by the way they clearly went out there in the snow and, and filmed a lot of it even at night. Uh, so this film looks like it was a lot less harrowing to shoot. It's a summer road picture about half-brothers, Link and Travis, played by Philip Lewitsky and Avery Winters Anthony, who escape from their abusive father, played by Joel Thomas Hines, and trying to locate Link's long-lost mother, who he thought was dead, but he discovers she's still around, and also maybe connecting with his indigenous heritage and burgeoning sexual identity at the same time. Uh, the brothers get a lift from Pazme, played by Joshua Ogic, who agrees to take them where they want to go, and it becomes kind of this... this you know, odd mystery uh, following the clues across the province to find out where this woman is and whether or not she wants to connect with her her son, who she's been separated from for so long. Uh, it is a beautiful looking film. It has the real sense of authenticity in the performances. It's, it's a lovely coming of age film with a lot of other aspects to it that feel both familiar and um, strangely, uh, you know, I, I found it actually really moving. So uh, I don't, what did you think, Stephen? Well, I wholeheartedly loved this film. Uh, I, and I agree that it was a perfect choice to open this festival because it is, first of all, just a beautiful piece of cinema shot here in Nova Scotia and in, in locations, I think, largely around the Bay of Fundy in the Annapolis Valley. And, and also just because uh, it juggles so many different themes uh, so skillfully over the course of this story. Uh, I, I, I love the way that uh, that Bretton Hannum is able to kind of give us a lot of information about character and culture and and uh, and identity and gender and all the all this stuff wrapped up into a you know a fairly simple road story of of this boy becoming a man in search of his identity and his past and uh, I got to see it a couple of times um, Luckily, uh, once was a test screening uh, several months ago when they were just kind of feeling out uh, what the reaction to this film was going to be and how people were going to feel about uh, the story and so on. And then, uh, of course, the finished version that uh, played at Finn on Thursday night and was briefly available on Finstream, but hopefully will become more readily available soon. And it's, you know, it's a film that, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed on, on a pure you know, cinematic and storytelling level, but I also feel that uh, that it you know kind of taught me some stuff, which is it you know it's not always something you expect to get from a movie. But uh, I I have to be honest, I haven't seen a ton of two spirit stories being told on screen, and, and it's a term that I, I, I'm aware of. I've, I've I've read about it. I've tried to inform myself more about it, but to actually see it expressed. Uh, in an artistic way really gives you a lot more insight into the nature of it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really not something that can be summed up easily because it is a mixture of, uh, you know, fluid gender identity plus uh, cultural and environmental connections. And it's, 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 it's not an easy label uh, to use or define. And I felt that, uh, you know, seeing it portrayed in such a poetic way gives you some insight without necessarily hammering you over the head about uh, what it means or, or you know, the significance of it. And I, I just thought that uh, all the parts in this film really work, even when uh, the director is working with, uh, with actors and non-actors and, uh, you know, the, probably doing a lot of stuff on the fly uh, during a time when, uh, you know, everybody behind camera is masked and, and isolated. Because <laughs> this is done, this is, I believe, the first uh, local feature to go to camera, you know, in the heart of the pandemic and i'm uh, not sure if that was true or, or whether it was, was dawn was dawn or, or her dad and the they, tractor they're both pretty close together yeah last year anyway yeah in the middle of all of them i, I feel I, through. I've, yeah. uh, it's a difference of like a week or something like that mm -hmm. if, if that's the case because i remember getting the announcement that they were starting and uh you know just under the most ar arduous circumstances of, of you know, having to communicate between cast and crew and, and having, you know, plastic barriers up and things like that. It's just, uh, you know, the fact that 
they were outside certainly helped. Uh, I think the <laughs> fact that the, most of the film takes place outdoors uh, turned out to be highly convenient for uh, you know filming under uh, under COVID protocols. But uh, uh, you, you know you wouldn't know it to, to watch the film. It's not something that impinges on the film itself. I think it uh, it does uh, its job of telling this story very well uh, under the circumstances. Yeah, no, I, I I absolutely hear you, and I agree with everything you're saying about the film. Uh, it 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 did feel like there was an optimism and a uh, a storytelling aspect to it that is really a, a unique voice and that's truly a, a clearly a Bretton Hannum's gift uh, to to bring forth this kind of vision of of people and a journey uh, and that that feels different from from most films I think I've seen here from from this part of Atlantic Canada anyway and I really what I really loved about the film was that there's this growing um, sense of of goodness and hope that goes through the film it starts quite bleak it's so dark at the yeah, start you yeah know, you kind of and and you kind of think oh it's gonna be one of those just endless grim <laughs> kind of nightmares and it's not at all no not just, at all you just need to start into the dark to get to the light yeah essentially yeah and and that sort of management of tone i really was impressed by and the and and the ending there's this gloriously sort of heartfelt conf- conclusion and the uh sort of uh needle drop of jeremy dutcher at the oh, exact right oh moment I, I mean i just even talking about it now i'm yeah. getting a little emotional i think that was changed that may have been changed since the test screening because as soon as the jeremy dutcher piece starts you know your <laughs> your heart goes into your throat really yeah <laughs> yeah it's like perfectly don't, chosen and uh yeah but the music all the way through i, th- I think there's some um uh uh, was it a hallucination in there? Or, um, and, oh, yeah. And uh, I think maybe some Snotty Nose Reds kids along the way. It's, it's a great sound, soundtrack. I think there's a playlist online somewhere that you can access the, the, the music that's used throughout. But there's also a great score as well. And, uh, you know, just uh, the attention to detail throughout the film is, is pretty remarkable, um, I thought. And there's a lot of humor in the film. Uh, when I talked to Breton for a feature on the film, they said that the, the they they wanted to make sure there was a lot of humor, and uh, that uh, that everyone could get, and there might be some humor that maybe indigenous audiences uh, will get more than non-indigenous audiences. Uh, but it's 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 a film that will appeal to everybody, and and you do feel uplifted, even though that's a corny term. You really do get that feeling at at the end of the film. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And apparently, the the film festival is has arranged for, or perhaps the producers have a. Uh, uh, a, a Mi'kmaq version of the film is screening on, it's today is Saturday, so it's screening today. Uh, and I'll be interested to see whether or not that becomes something that becomes available to wider audiences later on. Well, it would make sense that it would be. And, and uh, you know, certainly, um, you know, with, with platforms like, you know, say Canopy or, or, or CBC Gem or what have you, I, I think there'll be a place for that uh, for people to access. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Breton, was very clear that that was something that they always wanted to do with the film to make sure that it was accessible to uh, you know the the people whose lives and culture informed the movie itself. So that's it's it's a uh, it's a great uh, kind of uh, addendum to the film. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Dawn, her dad, and the tractor, which is also playing at Finn, written and directed by Shelley Thompson, and it's about. Dawn, played by Maya V. Henry, who is a YouTube star, I understand. Dawn, uh, Dawn is trans, home to the Nova Scotia farm where she grew up, a community where some folks are pretty happy to dead name her right to her face. Now, her, her mom has just passed away, and it leaves her gruff father, John, played by Rob Wells of uh, Trailer Park fame, uh, her sister Tammy, played by Amy Graining, and Tammy's fiance, Byron, played by Reed Price, basically the family unit on this farm. Uh, now, when I first started watching this, it did remind me a lot of Leanne Poole and Tom Fitzgerald's Splinters, a film that starred actor-turned-director Thompson. But, you know, that, um, that, those feelings, I guess, were pretty dispelled pretty quickly because there, this film has its own sort of mood, its own tone, and it's a deeply felt drama uh, a coming-of-age film of, in its own way. And, uh, of course, it, it got a lot of music from Rose Cousins and Bria Isabel, which uh, helps kind of, you know, just connect that feeling uh, the film is trying to convey. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is a first time uh, feature film from Thompson, who, of course, has been working in films 
a long, long time. <laughs> she worked uh, with John Frankenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> in the whole, she's in the Holcraft Covenant with Michael Caine. No kidding. And 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 uh, you know, because she was living in England um, back in the eighties, she's right. in Labyrinth. Yeah, well, that I knew, which yeah. is like the one that you know everybody knows that she was. But now I need to go watch the Holcraft Covenant. I have a VHS copy. Oh yeah, I need to have a look at that. Michael Caine isn't very charitable about that, about that movie, but I figure it's got to be worth a watch at least. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a, a thriller from the a Cold War thriller, yeah. as I recall. Uh, yeah, so I mean, but, she's had this incredible career, and now. She's a, a director, and uh, I think that she has a real thoughtful and and also kind of forgiving approach on familial relations. Um, yeah, uh, and 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 really captures a community, which you know that sense of this being an actual place. You know, you really feel that. Yeah, it does. I, I picked up on the sort of splinter similarity as as well, just from the opening shots of of, of Don sort of walking down the the country highway kind of thing before. Um, going back to the farm, just drinking in the area that she loves so much before she knows that she's going to drop this hand grenade into the middle of her family unit and the community at large, basically. And, uh, you know, and that's very similar to some of the opening scenes of splinters, but it, it does have a very different tone and it goes in a very different direction, I think. And, uh, you know, it's maybe it's more, uh, I don't, I don't mean to use this term in a pejorative sense, but folksy, you mm. know, it's, it's, it's definitely more of a down home kind of story. Um, because it was, it was a lot of it was filmed in Anaganish, where uh, you know uh, Shelley Thompson uh, used to live, um, especially when she and her husband were connected with the festival theater festival there. I think now she's based in the Valley, but um, uh, so it, it is kind of more tied to a specific community in a way. But I I, I really did enjoy this film. It's 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 you know a lovely lyrical film that um, you know has a few surprises, and and Maya Henry has done some acting, but not you know, held the, the spotlight in a feature before. And I thought she was terrific as Dawn. You know, she's, she's got a very distinct and forthright personality and, and, uh, and, you know, really kind of puts her foot down about who she is and, uh, you know, how people have to come to terms with who she is and, and, you know, like it or, or lump it. And, uh, you know, with, and it's, you can sense how that can be hard for her family members, for father, uh, Rob Wells, he tends to internalize everything. So, you know, he's, he's wrestling with it. He does, you know, if he's got anger, he, he kind of lets it kind of boil up inside, uh, while her sister basically, you know, lets everything out about how she feels about, you know, now that she's got a, a sister instead of a brother, if you want to say it that way. But, um, you know, she's got a, you know, a lot of, a lot of hurt and a lot of, um, understanding, uh, to, to deal with on, on her side as well. And I like Amy Grading. I've seen her in a few things now and, and she's always been uh, fun to watch, uh, in, in her project. So, uh, I'm kind of rambling a bit, but I, I like how all the pieces come together that, that, uh, the disparate elements between the family and within the town, uh, I thought made for a nice portrait overall with some really good performances. Yeah, and and I think you know it's a it's a cliche that actors turn directors are really good with working with actors, but that's truly I think the the strength here is like the, all the performances feel lived in. Uh, I really enjoyed a lot of the supporting cast: uh, Bretton Alama, uh, Richie Wilcox. You know, it, it, there's a there's a sort of a, a bit of a queer kind of uh, LGBTQ plus uh, vibe you know going on even in this small town, and uh, and of course Taylor Olson, who you know shows up in all sorts of things all the time. Yes, even most. Of these films. Yeah, yeah, it's always great to see him, uh, though he's playing a very unpleasant character here. Uh, and I was kind of startled and without going into spoilers that there were there's an element towards the end where where uh, there is a sort of a, a scene of a little bit of violence that's very intense. I found it very intense. Yes. And then there's not much of a comeuppance for the character uh, who is, you know, who is the cause of the violence, which I mean, there there is a moment of triumph, I think, uh, for Dawn. Uh, where she finally she she finally connects with her family, you know, and gets the the uh, the complete sense package, the love that that Dawn is looking for, and they are united, uh, certainly around you know against this this other character. But but boy, uh, yeah, I found that a little hard to watch, and I felt like I just wanted to see that character really get what was coming to them. And I don't know if that that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a moralist. <laughs> no. I, I do know that the, the uh, I talked to Shelly uh, this week and, and I understand that, you know, that they were, you know, filming under COVID protocols and, and um, you know, that, that uh, they were, they were able to get most of what they wanted to get for this film. But one thing they weren't able to do was use the uh, Anaganish Highland games parade 
as part of their big finale, which I think is what they were ultimately hoping to do uh, when she wrote the screenplay. And of course, uh, it didn't happen that right. year because of COVID. So yeah. um, they had to kind of rejig the ending. And I, I don't know if that played a part in in how things get reconciled, but um, it's uh, I, th- I think they did a pretty good job of working around not having that kind of um, you know real life event to kind of populate <laughs> the finale of the film. And I think they they uh, they more than made do with uh, with uh, the way they wrap things up here. Today on Lensmere Ears, we are talking about films showing at Finn, uh, the film festival here in Atlantic Canada, the 2021 edition of the Finn Film Festival, and uh, the the film that another film from this region that we got a chance to see is 837 Rebirth, which is, I think, a pretty awesome title for a, a film. I, 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 like, I like movies uh, that have like uh, an unusual titles and numbers in the, in the front of them. They're, it's not a sequel. <laughs> um, uh, directed by Juanita Peters, written by Peters, Hank White, and Joe LeClaire. And uh, Juanita Peters has had a terrific career as a playwright, actor, docu- documentary filmmaker. Uh, she's, uh, I believe, the manager at the uh, Africville um, Museum and uh, or I should say director. I'm not exactly sure what her title is, but she's definitely working there. And here she has directed a feature film that is a slow burn, intimate story about the long tale of violence, guilt and recrimination. It's about two sort of parallel lives. Uh, Sergey played by Pasha Ebrahimi, is a mathematician and a professor. He has a family. Uh, his wife's played by Amy Churfry, who's also in Tin Can, um, and a son. And uh, his friend, who is who's a cop, John, played by Mark A. Owen, tells him that he's got everything that a man could want, but he is tortured by an obsession with another man who is just getting out of prison, uh, Jared, played by Glenn Gould. And uh, Sergey uh, and Jared have, or I should say Sergey and Jared have a connection that goes back years, uh, a past incident of violence, something that takes actually quite a long time to be revealed in the story. But you know that it was bad because it changed both of their lives inexorably. Um, Jared spent 25 years in prison for it. So um, the tension comes here from whether or not Sergei's going to get a, a sort of a handle on his obsession, on on his deteriorating mental health, or whether, you know, he's going to push all of that into his, his math equations, because there's this whole like separate part of his life, his professional life is tied up in 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 this uh, work. Um, but I, I like the film quite a lot. I, I, I felt like this inevitable kind of confrontation between the characters. It takes a while to get there. But in the meantime, there's a lot of really lovely character moments between Sergey and his math buddy, Neil, played by David Christoffel, between Jared and his landlord his, in his rooming house, house, Houseman, played by Daniel Lilford, and between John and his soon-to-be ex-wife, played by Joanne Miller. Uh, it's this talented cast really brings these moments alive. I felt like in a way that even though a lot of that stuff is sort of plot adjacent, it, it, uh, it was where the meat and the feeling of the film came alive for me. Yeah. I think, uh, Juanita is a pretty sympathetic, uh, director working with actors. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I felt that, uh, that a lot of the work in the film was, was very real, especially Glenn Gould. We just mentioned cause he was in North mountain, the Brenton Hannum film from a few years back. Uh, and, uh, you know, is, is a Nova Scotia actor who's gone on to bigger and better things in other parts of the country. He's on Cardinal, had a major role in that series and was very good there. Um, but it's great to see him back uh, in features being made here. And here, he, as Jared, I you know, it's 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 a really wonderful portrayal of a, of a guy who's, you know, really been living inside his head, you know, for, you know, decades, having been in prison uh, and has funneled all his frustrations into creative uh, pursuits, into the, his artwork, which, and in the film, they use the art of, uh, of uh, Mi'kmaq artist, Alan Silliboy, which is great. It was great to see, like one of the first times you see one of his drawings and you immediately know who, who, who made it. If you've, if you've uh, followed the, you know, the local uh, art world at all. And, uh, you know, it, but it was just adds such a great layer to it because, the artworks are genuinely wonderful uh, that show up uh, throughout the film. Uh, you know, portrayals of of uh, Glooscap, the Thundermaker, and and so on. And uh, you know, so you really get a feel that for this character, who's who's you know 
he didn't he didn't didn't even apply for early parole when he could have because he just was so belabored with this guilt for what happened uh, when he was a kid and uh you know so he's he's filled with this you know sense of humanity and and the sense that uh he's really going to make something of himself through through that uh, creativity and that imagination but of course uh the man of logic you know we got the man of art and uh, you know the right brain guy, and then we've got the, the logical thinker who cannot think logically and and let go of uh, of the past, and he's consumed with this um, you know need for to, to to kind of not turn back time, at least you know try and get back some semblance of what he lost, and of course in the process loses everything. Yeah, but, and he's, he wants to protect his family, which he says over and over. Yeah, but exactly. really, it's there's this vengeance that's bubbling in him, and it's it's fascinating to see those two characters kind of cross, where one is on his way up and another is on his way down in a way that feels like unavoidable that from the beginning, and that sense of tension is is palpable through the film. Yeah. Uh, when I, I talked to Juanita and she said that she wanted to sort of, she loves like thrillers and, and horror movies and sort of genre films. And she wanted to kind of take the framework of a thriller, but use it to show this really human story about, uh, you know, the choices that you make in life and, and how they can affect you later on. And, you know, how that, you know, you have to be, have this understanding and empathy to know how what you do will have the kind of ripple effect and affect others. And, uh, you know, I think the film gets that across very well. I like that. It didn't parcel out, um, exactly what happened right away that, that, you know, we kind of have to learn the story, um, sort of parallel. The past story plays out in parallel to the, the current day story of, um, Sergey and, and Jared. And, and I, I thought that was some, some pretty deaf storytelling on, on her part. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. It 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 kind of the film is is uh, is paced in a certain way that sort of uh, as an audience member you sort of have to plug in and just kind of wait for the information to arrive. But it does. It takes it some time to get there, but it it, it will. And then you know the finale is this kind of culmination of of the past and the present kind of coming together in a way that's pretty cool. Um, all right. So shall we move on to? Uh, Piece by Chocolate, I think, is the next film we want to talk about, directed by Jonathan Kaiser, written by Kaiser and Abdul Malik. Um, And, you know, it's funny, when I heard about this film, it it crossed my mind, oh, this must be a documentary about the famous Haddad family from Syria who moved to Nova Scotia in 2015, or at least some of them did, uh, and and more later, uh, to start a chocolate business that's become very successful and kind of the 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 flag waving standard bearer for for uh you know the the possibility of uh, you know economic success and 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 also uh you know refugees having an opportunity here and taking making the best of it which i think is a wonderful story and a lot of people really have i mean and the chocolate is terrific too uh so don't get me wrong dark um, chocolate with cashews can't go wrong with that <laughs> yeah that's right um so so but kaiser and his collaborators have told this as a uh and kaiser is is originally haligonian um and uh, this is a first time feature from from jonathan kaiser and uh it is uh it's really, it's really something. I mean, in terms of how what it gets right in in recreating like a family dynamic, uh, it stresses that culture shock of what this family of Syrians, of Canadian newcomers, um, must have felt when they first arrived in small town Nova Scotia and their expectations within the family. The you know the the son who wants to be a doctor, but the the father who wants the son to take over the the you know help uh, you know with his his ability to basically, you know, his public relations skills to help forward the chocolate business and help with the making of the chocolate, all of that. But uh, he wants a certain amount of freedom from from that. And uh, he feels like the promise of Canada is is in that freedom and that he doesn't necessarily want to feel obligated, you know, with uh, with to, to participate in the family business for the rest of his life. And, and there was a lot of that that I, you know, I didn't know. And I'm presuming is true to life about this family. I, I was uh, I, I found myself really engaged by that. Yeah, I think for the most part, it's it's true to the story and true to the book that uh, Tara Kadad uh, 
uh, wrote uh, about his own life. Uh, obviously, it's all it's available there for everyone to see. So I, I'm sure they didn't want to stray too far from the facts. I know that uh, Kaiser's previous film, this is his first feature uh, film, and his previous film, uh, Brothers, actually features the real life uh, Isam Haddad and uh, his friend Frank from uh, from Anakin Ish, where they I think they go on a camping trip and it talks about you know, how their friendship between um, you know, a newcomer from, from the Middle East and this, this sort of, uh, you know, established uh, native dweller, I guess, uh, how they get along and, and uh, have forged this new friendship out of unexpected circumstances. And that, yeah, it's a short called Brothers okay. that I saw, I think, probably at Finn a while back. And, um, you know, obviously that gave him the spark to to work with uh, Tarek and use his uh, story to make this film. Uh, so, it you know, it it does have some sort of heightened elements that don't necessarily feel true to life and, and maybe more storytelling movie convenience <laughs> uh, in terms of, uh, of how they're laid out and how they take place. But, but I, you know, certainly, certainly the leads, um, you know, I am Abu Amar and as, as Tarek and Hadam Ali as, um, as Isam are, are very convincing in, in uh, their portrayals and in their sort of father son dynamic. I, I really, uh, anytime they're on screen and they're kind of dealing with their issues, I, I felt the film uh, really works in other aspects of the film. It's uh, you know, it, it goes from feeling true to life to feeling like a fictional drama in a way. It's, it's a very odd kind of mix. You know, we've got the evil chocolate lady, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, you know, who's, who's put off by the fact that, you know, she's been running this chocolate store in, uh, in the town for so long. And here come these newcomers who are putting her out of business sort of thing. And you know, that that's, but you know, I guess that gives it its drama, I suppose. But, uh, you know, if you just concentrate on the story of the family, that's really what what uh, what drives the heart of this film. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. I think also there's a little bit of a, a caricature in some of the uh, local Antigonishites. Antigonishites are they? Is that Antigonish? A- Antigonish. <laughs> We were also laughing yeah, at the uh, mispronunciation. Yeah, I've never heard it pronounced the, that way. The, 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 the mispronunciation of, uh, of, of the town, uh, which uh, happens a couple of times. And, uh, you know, a little bit of eye rolling there, but uh, it's, you know, what are you going to do? Well, we should note that it was, it was filmed in Quebec, not in Nova Scotia. So um, I think there are some scenes shot in Anaganish uh, sort of later in the film, maybe some like sort of real life type stuff. But I think for the most part, it was... It's <laughs> mostly shot somewhere in in, in Quebec, but um, and that's fine. I mean, it doesn't doesn't have to be. Uh, you know, Maudie got away with it. Yeah. <laughs> she, you know, uh, a Nova Scotia, rural Nova Scotia story shot in what's obviously rural seaside Newfoundland. Um, you know, I think uh, this is a little less obvious than that one. So that's so that's good. But uh, you know, I guess that's the part of the realities of how it got financed and all that kind of thing. So, you know, you, you just kind of make do the important thing is the story, I suppose. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I'm sure it will get a release somewhere down the road. We'll, uh, we'll be seeing it, seeing it again, hopefully, I mean, in theaters perhaps, uh, or elsewhere. Um, so before we finish this segment, we need to talk about tin can. This is the new film directed by Seth A. Smith, who, of course, a lot of people will know for he's a musician as well as an artist uh, and has been busy making feature films with part with uh, um, his sort of family and friends uh, for a while. They have have been doing things like the um, the Crescent, which was an interesting film that played at Finn, I believe, uh, three or four years ago. This is a is a step you know, into like a little quantum leap forward, I think, for for uh, Smith's filmmaking. It's a claustrophobic sci-fi thriller, very much in the kind of early Cronenberg or Tarkovsky vein. Um, and it is uh, it is really an impressive film, I think, for hardcore sci-fi fans. It features a story, basically, is Fret, played by Anna Hopkins, is a parasitologist who believes she's found a way to control perhaps even cure a worldwide fungal pandemic, uh, which interestingly enough, this was written way before our own pandemic. So uh, it kind of prophetic in some ways. Um, and it's, um, and then just, she, just as she's kind of coming to this conclusion, she's abducted, wakes up in a stasis tube, which is kind of like a Petri, a human Petri dish, unsure how long she's been there and una- unable to get free. A large portion of the film is her in that, space trying to communicate with people around her she can hear other prisoners in nearby tubes 
trying to figure out what's going on. So that brings a kind of prison drama aspect uh, and part psychological horror. If you're claustrophobic, then you're going to feel that. Uh, And then the second part of the film is what happens afterwards, but also what happened before. There's a lot of flashback to character stuff that happened previously that help you kind of understand where she's at and the decisions she made that kind of brought her to this this place that she's in. Um, It is a... uh, it 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 does wear its influences on its sleeve. I mentioned some of them, but uh, the film's wildly original. I I really was impressed by the ambition on display here. Yeah, I've I've loved Seth's work. Uh, going back to well, some of the shorter things that he'd done. Of course, uh, he made music videos for his bands like Dog Day and for for Friends bands and that kind of thing. And uh, and then of course there was the first feature, Low Life. Uh, and I love that each of his films has a different kind of flavor um you know there are things about his filmmaking that's uniquely his but at the same time each film is so separate and distinct from each other and uh, you know i just love how imaginative he is um you know moving uh, moving ahead with each with each film um you know i feel like uh, low life was kind of like the sort of psychedelic experience with this kind of weird creature that people get addicted to its essence i guess <laughs> it's found out in the woods and then the, the crescent is more metaphysical uh with the the you know the kind of this ghost story basically and this uh crossing over into a, a completely alternate spirit world and and here it's yeah we're into medical and horror and body body horror uh, and that's you know again uh there's there's kind of a handmade quality to this film much like his music and 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 the artwork that he also does um as part of Yo Rodeo, the art collective, uh, that it, it just all fits together so so perfectly, and it's it's a film that I feel I, I will benefit from a second viewing because I I don't think I was necessarily picking up all the pieces as I was watching it, uh, and, and and maybe seven in the morning isn't the ideal time to watch Tin Can. <laughs> I'd I'd really like to see it in the theater. I think I think uh, you know watching it in a brightly lit living room is not the way to go with with this film. You really want to see it uh, in a darkened movie theaters, and I'm sure there'll be other opportunities to see it under those circumstances circumstances uh, uh, moving forward. Yeah, for sure. And I wonder about, um, you know, it's funny, like when Hobo the Shotgun was made here, what a big deal it was that Rutger Hauer came to town and was in this film. And this movie has someone who's in it that's equally legendary, and that's Michael Ironside. Of course, he's not the, the lead, prominent lead. He's more of a support. And, but we do see him at the end of the film. And uh, I thought that was an awesome coup for uh, for Seth to have uh, him in his movie because it, it just it reconnects with all that legacy of like early Cronenberg and, uh, and exploitation uh, thrillers that, uh, yeah, really, really cool to see Michael Ironside in this. The funny thing, I was actually on the set for this film uh for a day just watching them do their thing with a one of the people in the robot suits <laughs> whatever was was pushing like a, a body along into the trash compactor <laughs> unit that uh, that we see in the film and uh you know they constructed a hallway it was all done in a like a warehouse in burnside uh but <laughs> they you know and they built this kind of lab with the containers inside and and the, the hallway that leads to uh the sort of disposal unit or whatever. And, and it was really, it was a really amazing construction. And it's been, and I think it was gussied up with some post-production as well. But, and uh, at, initially, I guess Michael Ironside was just going to be voice acting. He wasn't even going to appear. And I guess he, he wanted to make sure that he was on camera and they brought him down for like a couple of days worth of, of shooting to, to, to have him, you know, in, in a couple of scenes as well as uh, his voice appearing from one of the tin cans as it were on the set so um yeah it was and it's great that they got him and i guess you know he's he's worked on so many levels of like big budget and low budget productions and i guess he's you know he's just happy to be working on on anything and you know he and he's a, i guess he was a real team player so that's always cool to hear but yeah i can't wait to uh to, to watch this again and and pick up on some of the uh some of the thematic cues that are running through it uh you know the the this, this whole theme of uh human hubris uh that kind of underscores everything that's happening in the film i mean and the, there's certainly a vagueness about who's doing what and who's responsible for the the lab and 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 putting people in into these um these cryogenic or stasis um containers uh, you know we we find out more as the film goes on but th- there's a lot of elements that you really have to keep an eye on to, to understand how they're going to play out later in the film. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, you know, uh, we talked about the, the whole, uh, 
pandemic aspect of the film and and how this this uh, the making of it actually predated that by at least a year if not more and uh, you know how mankind is still kind of thinks we can get ahead of the ball with 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 everything and not knowing what's going to knock us on our uh, butts next and it's you know it's it's kind of an important lesson to learn i don't know that the people who need to hear it are going to see tin can or not but uh but you know this film is obviously very cognizant of uh of, of what's going on in the world around us and where we're going and and uh again i'm you know i i really want to see a theatrical screening of this to, to i think get the get the full picture but uh you know, maybe maybe Carbon Arc will we'll tackle that in the future. If it, yeah, if it doesn't there. get a theatrical release, there I wouldn't be surprised. I'd say that's, you know, because uh, I I think it's 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 running on Finstream, I believe, to the end of the festival till September twenty third. Uh, if you're hearing this ahead of September twenty third, there's still a chance to see it uh, online. If you live in uh, in Atlantic Canada, uh, I think it's uh, it's sort of geolocked to the four Atlantic provinces. But uh, but definitely keep an eye out for this. It's it's been uh, getting great accolades on the on the festival circuit, and uh, you know will will be pretty uh, pretty mind blowing when you get a chance to see it uh, for the first time. Cameron Wilson, host of The Food Podcast. But you know what? It's not just about food. It's about people and their stories shared through the lens of food. The Food Podcast has been described as an audible fairy tale. How about that? You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. So come join us. We would love to share our stories with you. Welcome back to Lends Me Your Ears. I'm Stephen Cook. I'm Karsten Knox. And we are looking at some of the East Coast and elsewhere offerings in the 2021 Finn Atlantic International Film Festival, which is taking place as we record this. And uh, as the show uh, is launched and, and airs on CKDU, it will be uh, sort of towards the tail end of Finn. And there will be a chance to see some of these films uh, online through Finnstream or uh you know, in the theater, uh, if you if you go through the program guide and are in Halifax and can get to the in-person screenings. Uh, one of those films is uh, a PEI thriller. And, you know, I, we, we, don't, we, we don't really see enough uh, feature films from from PEI. It's it's a small but plucky community. And uh, uh, but there's been some great work coming out of there in the in the past few years. And, and Adam Perry, this is his first feature since, I think, 2009. Uh, and uh he makes a pretty stunning return with a small fortune. It's um, it's kind of a small town family crime drama that starts starts out uh, fairly simply when uh, when our hero of sorts, Kevin Doucette, played by Stephen Oates, is uh, you know is is out on the beach uh, in in rural PEI combing the sea for Irish moss, which he sells uh, locally to kind of a, a bit of a scoundrel who sells bait and does a lot of other, you know, things to kind of scrape by. And and uh, his wife is uh, Sam, played by Leanne Balaban, who's always a welcome presence on film and is wonderful here. Um, you know, she wants him to consider, you know, heading out to Alberta where the the good jobs are and the, the big paydays and, uh, you know, why waste his time scraping along, struggling uh, by harvesting Irish moss from the sea. Uh, and uh, she might have a good point because it's really, you know, they've got a kid coming uh, on the way and it's, it's, um, it's not really going to pay the bills uh, once uh, their uh, family uh, grows to, uh, to three people. So, uh, he's in kind of desperate straits. He really doesn't want to leave home. He's, he feels really connected to the island and to his community. And uh, and I think he's also a little scared of the prospects of, of leaving home behind. Uh, and then one day he finds some money in uh, in a clump of Irish moss. First it's just bills, and then it's a duffel bag filled with, you know, $100,000 or so, like more money than he's ever seen in his life. And, uh, you know, so what, and of course, uh, there's somebody out there looking for that money. And that someone is Troy, played by Joel Thomas Hines, who we just saw in Wildhood. And here he's uh, still in low life dirtbag mode, um, <laughs> something he, he plays very well. But at the same time, uh, you know, a, a cruel and vicious character who 
still has a bit of a human side, which is, uh, you know, he's a little different than his uh, abusive father in Wildhood. And uh, so so basically, he's trying to connect the numbers and find out who might have found his money and where it might be stashed. Meanwhile, uh, Kevin, who, uh, you know, let's, let's face it, is is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Uh, the, the film uh, doesn't make too many bones about that, is trying to think of, like, you know what to do with his uh, his good fortune and uh you know unfortunately he makes some fairly wrong decisions which only makes it easier for troy to kind of track him down and what it leads to a standoff um that uh that goes more spectacularly haywire than you would have imagined there are things that happen in this film there's sudden moments of violence that you do not expect from a film like this you you think it's going to be kind of a uh you know kind of a dark comedic thriller but then there are moments where it gets all too real and uh i thought that uh, adam perry did a great job of kind of springing those on on us uh, over the course of the story that that you know these characters are not messing around um you know and and there's some great characterizations uh i really enjoyed the two cops the local cops uh andrea bang is the newcomer the newbie to the local uh, precinct and then you've got uh you know you've got the the veteran uh, cop who just wants to keep the peace he just want to get involved in a serious investigation of, of murder and and you know mysterious we presume drug money showing up on this uh, on the, the shore or whatever and all of a sudden he's dealing with dead bodies and all this stuff that is a little bit outside of his uh, comfort zone in terms of uh, keeping the peace and being a police officer. And and so there's there's that comedic element to it as well as kind of the serious family drama of of, um, of Kevin who has to figure out what's best for his family uh, and, and also try to rein in his own kind of greed and uh, – and um, naivety, as it, as it were, um, you know, he really doesn't know what he's up against until he's up against it. And uh, it does not go well. But I thought that uh, it, it took place in a, in a fairly unpredictable and enjoyable way. And, you know, there's some moments of real tension. It, it should be noted the storyline is, is a little similar to A Simple Plan, the uh, Sam Raimi thriller about, um, you know, a, a bunch of small town friends who have discover a, a crashed plane full of drug money and then as you'd expect the people who want that money come to looking for it so it's it's not necessarily a new plot but the the uh the the pei atmosphere and the the character notes throughout the film really make this worth watching and i love the fact that it's actually set in skinner's pond which is the home of uh the legendary stomp and tom connors uh i don't think that it actually is filmed in Skinner's Pond. I, I don't think it's right on the ocean, but uh, but that's the, that's the name they use for the town. As soon as they start saying Skinner's Pond for uh, various locations, I got a chuckle out of that. And then at the very end of the film, we get a Stomp and Tom song over the end credits. So nice, it's, essential. It's, yeah, it's it's PEI. You got to have it. Yeah, so um, yeah. perfectly balanced and uh, and and really worth seeing. I think it is on. Um, Finn stream through the week. Uh, you'll have to check their online guide to be sure, but I think uh, I think you still have a chance to see it online at least. All right. Well, uh, thank you for that. Uh, your thoughts on that? I haven't seen it yet. A small fortune, but I will definitely keep that in mind. Uh, to wrap things up today, I'm going to talk about uh, the one international feature that I've had a chance to see uh, at this point in the festival, and it is the Finn Atlantic International Film Festival. So there's a ton of international films I'm looking forward to, and it's a chance to see things on the big screen that we simply wouldn't get a chance to otherwise. And this is the new film from uh, award-winning Thai filmmaker Api Chatpong Virasitakul. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Or Joe to his friends. He's known as Joe, apparently, comfortably known as Joe. It's called Memoria. And the last film of his that I saw was his Palme d'Or winning Uncle Boon Me, who can recall his past lives, a, a picture very much disconnected from anything that you might call traditional narrative. His work is very thoughtful, meditative, and very slow-moving, generally. Uh, and that certainly was true about Uncle Boon Me. This new one stars Tilda Swinton, which has prompted some suggestion on film Twitter and other places that by casting such a prominent Western actor, that it would be a more conventional film. Uh, 
um, and maybe, you know, his first film in English. In fact, the film is mostly in Spanish, which uh, Swinton has a pretty good grasp of, I think. Uh, of course, she's acted in Russian and Italian before, so this maybe <laughs> isn't such a challenge for her. It's set in Colombia. Uh, she plays Jessica. She works with flowers. She, uh, But she keeps hearing uh, this strange sound, and it wakes her in the night, and it comes at times, and no one else can hear it. And it's a big, loud bang. And so she tries to figure out what it's about, and she meets a, um, a sound engineer, Hernan, who uh, is able to reproduce the sound in studio. Why she's doing this, it's not entirely clear. But there's a lot about this film, plot-wise, that's not entirely clear. It's, it's, uh, it's this very slow-developing slow kind of film with lots of exterior shots. You really get a sense of the place. Um, but it's, the film is about, it's about themes of our relationships to nature, our relationships to community memory, to shared memory, and in his deliberate manner, with scenes moving so slowly in real time, you really get a sense of this fundamental kind of messaging, which I feel like it's, this is a movie about life, it's about death, it's about a relationship with animals and plants and with each other. Um, and it's, it's startlingly mindful. It really demands your attention. Can you hang on to watch this movie for two hours and 16 minutes and pay attention to all the things that are going on when it moves so gradually? Uh, and it's so impressive in that regard. It was one of those movies where in the middle of it, there were times that I couldn't, fo I wound up like my mind wandered and I'd had to come back to the film in a way that's very much like a meditative experience. Oh, right. Okay. I'm not paying attention. Come back to it. Come back to it. Come back to it. And I just kept doing that. But I found it so rewarding over time. I was so glad to see it. You know, it's about, and it is about the present. It's about our connection and it's about the metaphysical. There are elements of supernatural and science fiction in this film that uh, I don't think I understood entirely, but that's okay. I, I can't remember the last film I watched where I was so okay with not understanding what's going on, just happy to be present in the film. So yeah, Memoria is a special, special film. I was really glad to have the chance to see it here at Finn. Well, I hope I get to immerse myself in it uh, on a big screen at some point on the road. Obviously, that moment has passed for this week, but uh, certainly, uh, Weir Sethical is, is an amazing filmmaker and uh, you know, certainly makes one-of-a-kind projects that, uh, that demand your attention. So, looking forward to that at some point. And that's it for Lens Me Your Ears look at some of the East Coast and elsewhere Finn Atlantic International Film Festival offerings this year. Uh, like I said, some of these are still available to view on the Finn Stream platform if you're able to access it, and uh, certainly worth a look through the program that's available online and some of the titles that are available, some of the titles that are coming up in person before the end of the week. And even if you just want to look for some stuff, if you're not in Halifax or Atlantic Canada, some things to look for for the very near future as they make their way into general release. It's always a, a handy way to know uh, what to expect from uh, independent and international cinema down the road. My name is Stephen Cook, and uh, you can find this show online via the at Twitter account or the LensMeRears Facebook page. I'm Karsten Knox, and yeah, and we have uh, Twitter accounts ourselves. Mine is named after my film blog, Flaw in the Iris. And I'm at NS underscore S-C-O-O-K-E. As always, we want to thank our on-air hosts, CKDU-FM, uh, who provide us with the studio space to record our show every other week and air us every other Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. And, of course, the Village Soundcast Network for their production help and facilities as well. Thanks to everyone. Thanks for tuning in, and hopefully you get out and see some movies this week. Lends Me Your Ears is hosted by Stephen Cook and Karsten Knox and is produced in Halifax, Nova Scotia at Village Sound for the Village Soundcast Network. All music courtesy of Gypsophilia. Send feedback to Lends Me Your Ears podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.
This was a Village Soundcast Network original production.